Dr. Jodie Richardson, and you're listening to Well, Hello Anxiety, a podcast where we end the struggle with anxiety and build our toolkit of practical skills to thrive. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with the wonderful Jessica Maguire. Jessica is a trauma-informed physiotherapist, and she's passionate about helping people to improve the functioning of their vagus nerve. So no longer what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We're about to find out all the details today. Um, The wonderful thing about Jessica is she's she's so incredibly passionate and brilliantly uh, informed and wonderful at the way that she shares everything that she learns through her masterclass and through her online course, as well as through her YouTube uh, videos, which I've had the pleasure of watching many of over the, the past few weeks. So Jessica actually teaches us, she's going to teach us a little bit about the the vagus nerve today and help us understand more about how we can actually repair our nervous system, improve our stress resilience and of course all of this plays into improvements in mental health and of course we are here to learn more about the vagus nerve and anxiety. So Jessica, thank you again so much for sharing some of your precious time with us and welcome. Thank you, Jodie. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, gosh. Let's dive in. Can you tell us tell us about the vagus nerve, please? Can you tell us what it is and where it originates and travels through the body? Sure. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, um, which runs through our body. So it starts out at the brain stem, which if you ran your hand down the back of your head, you'd feel a little bit of a bony ridge. And if you went in from there, it starts out in the brainstem and it travels down the body on both sides and it has fibres that go into the lungs and the heart and then it has fibres that go under the diaphragm where there's lots of innovation to our gut and then we also have a branch that goes from the heart up to the face. So we actually do wear our emotions on our face because of the way that it innovates the facial, it connects to other cranial nerves that innovate how we express our emotions on our face, how we listen, and also the tone of our voice. So it's involved a lot with, we could say, how we relate to other people and our nervous systems are very much influenced by other people around us. Um, But we can also see, particularly from the connection between the brain and the heart, that it's involved with the our, our, the regulation of our physiology. So your listeners might be familiar with when you first get a fright or you um, come on to, say, a scene when you're driving and you need to slam your brakes on, you might first of all go <gasps> and then feel this surge of energy around the heart, which is part of the vagus nerve called what we call the vagal break, releasing off the heart and also a surge of adrenaline. But we see that it's really involved with how we cope with stresses, but also how long it takes us to recover afterwards. So there's a physiological component around stress, but it also is involved with regulating our organs because of its, you know, changes that it makes to our systems when we are stressed, like releasing off the heart. Um, And it really is involved with how at home we feel inside of our body. And I think people can really relate to that when 
they're feeling anxious or they might be feeling flat or shut down, their home, like the, the actual body is a home, it doesn't necessarily feel like a comfortable place to be. And so a big part of the vagus nerve's role when we come into the state where we feel calm and centered is we come home to ourselves and the present moment. And that helps our physical health improve, our emotional health, we connect better with other people, we do our best work. Um, so it, it really is a, it gives an understanding of how the body and the brain and all the systems are interconnected rather than these separate parts of how we maybe used to look at um, ourselves. Yes, I think for a long time the brain and the body were really discussed in separate ways and the interaction and the influence of one on the other in a bi-directional way was just not understood. And so how, how, how is our understanding of the vagus nerve developing and, and why is it that in 2022 we are not wholly and solely aware as a general population of our vagus nerve, the amazing role that it plays. And of course, we'll get to the ways that we can improve vagal tone and learn more about that vagal break. How is it that we don't know? Is this reasonably new science? Well, it's interesting because the work of um, Stephen, Dr. Stephen Porges, who came up with polyvagal theory, which he's done the most amazing work, but he started out with this in the 1970s. But I think what we can understand this is by looking at frameworks and models that we've had in place for health. So a lot of the older models, which I've kind of touched on already with the biomedical model, was really looking at we are a machine and we have these parts and we can just fix these parts. You know, we can cut out something, we can repair a bone, we can make certain things work and you know I, I worked as a physiotherapist for 13 years with people who came in and some of them you could use manual therapy techniques make them better they'd be off on their merry way but for a certain group or a certain population that wouldn't improve their symptoms and for me I just couldn't sit with the fact that a person wasn't getting better in response to the modalities that I was using and that then I didn't want to give a message to that patient of, well, there's something wrong with you. You know, if you're not getting better, well, that's on you. So for me to understand what that was led to a lot of this study and what it's showing is that we have these changes with things like pain, things like after chronic and traumatic stress, where the nervous system becomes sensitised. And this isn't, a, it's not a simple explanation, but if we just say for pain, for instance, we know with persistent pain that goes on months after, say, an injury takes place and that someone's not getting better, that there are changes that we see in the brain, there are changes that we see in the way someone processes that, and all of that experience of pain is influenced by biological factors, yes, but also psychological factors. So maybe we might have those thoughts like, my dad had a sore back, so that's what's going to happen to me. Or it could be um, the stress around financially, what that means. 
And then there's also social factors that affect that experience of pain, which is looking at what state our relationships are in or what that means, how we belong in the community, if there's a pandemic going on. So what we might have just thought as a simple thing like pain is linear to an injury, we're seeing that's not the case, which makes it so complex that pain is not a construct of just the you know body part that's been injured. It's all those factors coming into play. And this is also the case with stress. So we can't say, well, I don't know what they're so worried about. It's not that big of a deal because it depends on our history. It depends on our values. It depends on has this experience reminded me of something else? And so what we are looking at is something that has a lot of shades of grey. It has a lot of nuance and it's not as simple as this part is broken, let's fix it, particularly when it comes to anything that's chronic. There's lots of things that come into play. And the biomedical model has been amazing, so amazing. You know, antibiotics, we can have surgeries that fix things. But what we know with chronic conditions where they don't improve is that model doesn't work. So we can't hunt around for a part to fix with someone who might have chronic gut issues. They can do certain things to help, but we need to look at the biopsychosocial factors that I mentioned before and look at the person as a whole. Yes, you have just touched on something that we've been dealing with here in our own family with our daughter, she has, we, we have some answers. So the biomedical model has given us some answers, but the the road has been long in terms of her gut health. Mm. And what we have found and what I, what I noticed was that she was missing a lot of school because she was feeling so unwell mm-hmm. for a long time. But I was observing that, so from a biological point of view, we were, we were having tests, gastroscope the biopsy with the gastroscope, the MRI for the headaches, the transabdominal ultrasound for the gut, for the abdominal pain. So we were we were going down that pathway. And so from a biological perspective, yes, we were addressing the, the issue and trying to get answers. But from a psychological perspective, I was able to observe that that was going downhill for her because she was not connecting and doing the things that she normally does that really give her a rich life, her singing, her basketball, seeing her friends, being at school. And from a social perspective, I started to see changes as well in terms of the the, the reaching out of friends after school when they'd finished their school day. And so from that holistic perspective, I was able to, and, and once we knew that there was nothing really sinister, we still hadn't got to the bottom of it, but we, we had to work really hard and really stay very strong with the view that you have to get back to school because we're going to sort this biological problem out, but the psychological and the social challenges could exist way beyond, um, you know, the, the time when the gut actually heals and repairs and, and that has bigger implications for life as a whole. So it's so interesting that you've touched on that. That's been our experience and I was able to sort of see it for what it was once I could have got out of the trenches. Mm. Um, so when it when it comes to stress and anxiety, uh, which can be chronic for people, c- could you share with us, please, 
I've, I've heard you, because I've watched so many of your amazing videos, um, I've, I've heard you speak about how stress isn't always bad. I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Uh, perhaps we could start there. What's the difference between sort of how, how does how does stress differ from anxiety? I think that would be a really beautiful uh, differentiation to make as well. And then maybe we could talk a bit more about the vagus nerve and anxiety. So sure. that's three questions. <laughs> that's <laughs> all right. Why, why, why is, why is, yeah, why is stress not all bad, not all the time? When we look at what happens with stress, and people can probably feel this in their own physical sense is we first of all get this mobilizing energy coming to our system so as i said there's the release of the vagal break so just to give people a little bit of an understanding with the vagal break if you imagine that you're riding a bicycle downhill and you would be going quite fast so you'd keep a little bit of the brake engaged just with your fingers at the handlebars there and you'd keep it in check let's say with how fast you went, well, the vagus nerve is doing that for us all the time. So it has an effect of dampening down our physiology um, where it goes from the brain to the heart or the sinoatrial node of the heart, which is like our pacemaker. And this, from an evolutionary point of view, helped humans move from being more in fight or flight or freeze into um being able to work collaboratively together to cooperate and that's the the people who thrived so it, it makes sense how it came in but when i want to say say i want to have a we're having this podcast interview and i'm so passionate about it and i love it that my vagal break will relax just a little bit and that will let that mobilizing energy in so you know when we feel passionate when we feel like we're working towards a goal we want to make something happen or it could be the state of play you know where I feel that mobilizing energy but it's I still feel safe or I still feel comfortable well if we were to face a challenge that required a bit more of a push let's say I needed to deal with something make a difficult phone call um, I could let off a little bit more of that break and that mobilizing energy would come in and that would help me to perhaps overcome what my fear would be about around doing making that phone call and then after the phone call was off the bagel break would re-engage so i return back to this baseline and what that means is that stress is really only our mind body system mobilizing energy to help us cope or face demands or meet challenges and that's a good thing it's part of life so to allow that process where we can let the energy into our system and re-engage our vagal break, we call that allostasis, where we come up and back down. And, and that's with a lot of systems in our body where we move away from the set baseline and then we come back again. And there's no harm if we do that. It actually makes us better at coping with stresses in the future. And that we would call as being stress resilient which is what we want and that's more important to be than stress reduction so when people say reduce stress mm, is that really possible i mean there's so much outside of our control if in covid times when people said i oh, just reduce stress it's like yeah well that's not so helpful <laughs> i can't do anything about that so 
I think that's where we want to look at becoming better at in the heat of the moment having the skills to coax our nervous system back towards regulation and that means being able to re-engage the vagal break again and if we do move into states of anxiety um you know for period short periods of time that's actually okay that's what we're designed to do but what can happen which segues into the other part of your question is we can have through um, experiences in life such as chronic repeated stress where we don't come back to the baseline like we spoke about the vagal break can stay off so that means that I would start to go downhill a little bit faster and faster on the bicycle because the brake's not engaged. And then when I face a challenge or meet a demand, the brake comes off completely and that's when I have this really strong mobilising energy, my sympathetic nervous system is activated and I'm anxious. And if my vagal brake isn't working well or we might say we have low vagal tone, then I may get stuck in periods of anxiety for a long time or get stuck in anxiety for a long period of time rather. And that's where we see it can, obviously we don't feel at home inside our body, but that's where we find that it has an effect on our whole mind-body system, our relationships, and, and that's where we can look at it as from the framework that I look at it as is that it's a neurobiological um, issue. It's not necessarily anything to do with us choosing that, being weak-willed, not strong enough, because that process actually happens outside of our conscious awareness. I hope that answers that for you. Yes. Oh, you did so well. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review. To keep the conversation going, I'd love you to join me over on Instagram. You'll find me at Dr. Jody Richardson. Also, if you'd like a copy of my free five-day mini email course, Calm Your Anxious Brain, then jump over to my website, drjodyrichardson.com, and you can sign up down the bottom. I've really enjoyed having your company. Thanks so much. See you next time. Hi there, Dr. Jody Richardson here. Do you have a child who's feeling anxious about starting school, a tween who's transitioning to high school, or perhaps a teen who's changing campuses in 2024 or changing schools altogether? Transitions can be especially hard for our kids and teens because they go hand in hand with uncertainty. There are just so many unknowns. But what we know for sure is that uncertainty drives anxiety. And so if you have a child or teen who's feeling anxious about school for any reason, it's perfectly understandable. Left unchecked, anxiety around school can lead to a morning off here or a day off there, and these absences can escalate to school refusal, which is why I've created a new online program for parents called, well, Hello School Anxiety. The program will run live over four weeks, starting in mid-January, where you'll learn all about the brain, anxiety, and how to identify it, exactly what to do and say when anxiety around school shows up, powerful anxiety management strategies, you'll create a custom plan for your child's unique situation, you'll learn how to enrol the school's help to support your child through the school gate each morning, and so much more. 
You can learn more about this program and secure your place by heading to my website, drjodyrichardson.com and clicking through from the top of the homepage. I can't wait to work with you and help make school transitions in 2024 smoother and less stressful for the whole family.